Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Natalia Shkulova-Said. Today I'm speaking with Svetlana Stevenson about her book, Gangs of Russia, From the Streets to the Corridors of Power. This book was published in 2015 by Cornell University Press, and it was awarded to the 2015 Alec Nov Prize by the British Association for Slavonic and East European Studies. Svetlana Stevenson has a PhD in sociology and is a reader in sociology at London Metropolitan University. In February 2018, Svetlana was elected by Current Sociology as the Sociologist of the Month for her article, It Takes Two to Tango, the State and Organized Crime in Russia. Two months, August and September, Svetlana has been spending in Bloomington, Indiana. She is a research affiliate at Russian and East European Institute. While in residence, uh, she works on her project, Soviet Rituals of Collective Shaming and Exclusion. Hello, Svetlana. Hello. I know that you have a very busy schedule, and as far as I know, you also give another talk today in the afternoon, so thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Uh, I would like to start with a quote from the introduction part, In the Shadow of the State. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, the Russian state became stronger, the capitalist economic order became more established, and the power of organized criminal groups began to wane. The vertical structures of mafia-type organizations were weakened, and the gangs began to revert to more disorganized forms. But as the new power regime developed, it became apparent that the strengthening of the state didn't lead to the triumph of law and order. The state doesn't function the same way in all countries, and in Russia, the state and criminal networks are not involved in a zero-sum game, but instead form complex relationships of competition and cooperation. Although they were weakened by gang trials and a reduction in racketeering opportunities, in many areas organized gangs didn't disappear, but became entrenched within well-established hierarchies of state power and local systems of violent regulation. You also state uh, Russian gangs are not alien to society. They are firmly embedded in it. It looks like this conversation includes, includes at least two spheres, generally speaking, criminal and political, and they appear to be intertwined. How do these seemingly opposing dimensions overlap? Organized crime, generally speaking, cannot exist without political patronage. And this is the case in Italy, for example. It is the case in Russia. The common view of organized crime is that it penetrates the state in order to get access to opportunities to make illegal profits. But in Russia we see that this is a two-way road, that organized crime uses the state in order to continue to function, while the state uses organized crime as well in order, for example, to find access to illegal markets, um, tax evasion, money laundering exercises, uh, to, to subvert the rule of law. But in this case, we're looking not so much at um, uh, uh, criminals, but at 
the state officials, bureaucrats, people who combine perhaps their official positions with having business on the side. So, so there is this um, mutual interdependence between organized crime and the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in your, in your book, you trace the development of gangs. So again, I would like to quote you. Uh, I look at gangs within a continuum of street organization and divide them here into two types. Street peer groups, territorial elites, entrepreneurial gangs, and, and autonomous ruling regimes. In your analysis that is largely based on the Kazan region, you also include criminal organizations that were functioning during the Soviet period. These groups or organizations didn't completely dissolve, unlike the Soviet Union, for example. Please tell us about your analysis strategy, data, and the connection between the present-day Russian gangs and Soviet gangs. What are the main differences between contemporary gangs and, let's say, Soviet gangs? Uh, Soviet gangs, especially when I'm talking about youth gangs, these were violent peer groups that were uh, only marginally involved in any economic, criminal economic activity. Although the, the, the process where they, some of them became involved in illegal economy started in the 1970s, particularly in the Volga region, and uh, mm-hmm. one, one of the key examples was Kazan. The gangs that emerged at that time in, in the 1970s, 1980s, and particularly with uh, perestroika and emergence of market economy in the 1990s, some of them still exist. And so, some of them are, again, purely neighborhood organizations where young people are testing the strength of, you know, the the, the, the street power involved in, in, in fights with, with people, young people from other areas. Uh, so these are kind of traditional street organizations. But some, some of them are involved in more entrepreneurial activities, such as uh, small-scale racketeering or sale of drugs. Now, drugs is, is a post-Soviet phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I mean, there the, 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 the was a, quite a small market in, in illegal drugs in, in, in the Soviet times, but now it's one of the key, uh, key, key businesses for gangs and organized crime. And some of these gangs uh, evolved in, into more serious organized crime organizations in the uh, 90s and 2000s, where, where their leaders, uh, the so-called Avtoritete, became uh, very powerful, very rich, and some of them got uh, integrated into the legal social structure, became uh, parliamentarians or heads of uh, corporations and, and so on. So, so th- this was a very rapid process of uh, social mobility, which was allowed by the disintegration of the Soviet state, of the, uh, well, the Soviet and then the Russian state uh, during the transition, uh, where wh- this window of opportunity emerged for lots of people. But now, now it's more or less closed. So people who made it, you know, they may continue some illegal business, but they, they largely uh, legal, got legalized. And uh, young people are just, uh, have reverted to their street kind of uh, <laughs> street life. Yeah, well, you have the whole chapter which is devoted to this analysis of how um, criminal gangs gradually evolved into some legal organizations 
questions. So this chapter, I believe it's chapter three, the business of banded gangs from predation to assimilation. So I was always uh, curious about how that process was possible. How, how was it possible to transfer from a completely illegal sphere to uh, some political sphere or to legal uh, sphere? Um, could you tell us a little bit about that process? How, how uh, people made it possible? <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about Russian gangs in the 90s was that, uh, from my interviews and from the literature, it's obvious that people didn't want necessarily to, to, to form completely parallel societies uh, and, and uh, you know, like, like, let's say, the Italian mafia. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, to make it, to become the new Russians, uh, you know, to, to use the language of, of the time. And... For them, the route to success could be through illegal business or through crime, but ultimately they 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 wanted in. They wanted to become respected businessmen. They wanted to become uh, members of parliament. They actually wanted to, to follow the route that many of the peers were, were making at the time, because lots of people who became oligarchs and very rich people they 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 were relatively young as well. People who were Uh, members of youth gangs, some of them simply wanted to buy a kiosk or, or, or buy play, uh, um, hire some people to trade in the market uh, and perhaps combine racketeering and uh, street crime with illegal sources of income. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the so-called authorities, the authorities, the, the leaders of their gangs, having accumulated the initial capital through racketeering, Uh, started to get shares in, in the companies that, where they, they were conducting their illegal business, joined the boards of governance, the boards of directors, and eventually some of them became legal owners mm-hmm. of, of these companies. So, so this, this all t- t- took... Um, quite a uh, you know, limited uh, amount of time. So, so within, let's say, five, six years, so, so, some, some of those people who had no idea how to run a business could actually become uh, legitimate businessmen. Mm-hmm. So uh, your book also invites some comparative analysis, and you mentioned uh, Italian mafia. And um, there was one notion that I was curious about. It's a Russian dream. <laughs> which invites some comparison to American dream. So my, I believe that here I will have two questions. How is uh, Russian mafia, so to speak, or Russian gangs different from Italian mafia, for example? And another one, what is Russian dream? And I'm sure there, are, there, are some, uh, there is some overlapping with American dream, but still, what are those similarities and differences? Well, uh, Italian mafia is a um, family-type mm-hmm. uh, organization, Whereas uh, Russian gangs, or Russian mafia, we can use this word, uh, it's, uh, it is not. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- th- these are networks which uh, involve all kinds of people. So, so, so sometimes these are professional networks, like uh, the phenomenon described by Vadim Volkov in his book, Violent Entrepreneurs, where... where He, he analyzes the networks of professional sportsmen or networks of people who came from one particular area into big cities and formed racketeering gangs there. Or in my case, I mostly analyze neighborhood networks of young people who were neighbors and, and formed these this entrepreneurial gangs. 
Now, it's a very interesting, I think, uh, what is the Russian dream? I think it's quite different from the American dream because largely it's about using one's connections and networks to succeed. Mm, so, 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 so it's not so much about individual achievement, but it's, it's about tapping into a social network where, where, where one can find solidarity, where can, can, can find access to all kinds of resources, connections. Uh, so, so I think this is the, the Russian dream. And uh, people who I interviewed who were gang members, they, they shared this dream and, and thought that, you know, they wanted to rise up, as they said, rise up in society with the help of their gangs. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, how you um, conducted this research, who you interviewed and why Kazan returned? There, there were several reasons why... Uh, I chose Kazan. What uh, one is the fact that it was famous for for, mm. for its gangs that were present not just in in Volga area but also had, had uh, four posts in um, Moscow and Saint Petersburg, you know, and uh, were feared all over Russia. Mm-hmm. Second is that there is quite a lot of research back in the Soviet times which uh, looked at uh, the origins of these gangs and uh, and uh, looked at the famous trial which happened uh, with the so-called Tsyapliap uh, gang in, the, uh, in, in 1980. And also there was a group of sociologists who were led by Professor Alexander Salagayev who, who started this research back in the Soviet time and continued doing it uh, throughout the 2000s. So, so I was very lucky to be able to work with him. And uh, he, not only did he share with me his uh, views and his, you know, um, results of his previous research, but he also uh, helped to organize the fieldwork, which... Uh, for me as a, you know I'm actually from Moscow you know, I don't have, have the local connections it would have been probably impossible to mm-hmm. do and uh, were people willing to uh, cooperate and to share the experiences of being um, gang members? Well, we, we, we did conduct uh, interviews I think quite successfully mm-hmm. I, I um, My explanation is this, that that sometimes people actually want to share their views of the world. And then in this research, in in my previous research with um, members of uh, youth gangs in Moscow and uh, people who were seeking to join criminal groups, I found that there is a belief that organized crime or, or gangs, they, they are examples of societies which are fair, which have moral codes, which um, look after their people. And so there is this ethos of being this sort of um, fair bandits, mm-hmm. which they, they share and which they are quite happy to communicate. Of course, if my uh, the main uh, question of my research would have been to investigate uh, the particulars of their criminal business, I think this would have been very difficult. Mm-hmm. But because I was genuinely interested in their histories, in their social organization, in their rituals, in their own beliefs about themselves, 
uh, then it, it made the interviewing process much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and can we uh, speak a little bit about uh, the uh, actual organizational structure of these um, uh, gangs? Um, by the way, speaking about uh, individuality that you brought up um, earlier, I also have um, another paragraph from your book. Um, so about the structure and about members' participation in these uh, gangs or um, organizations. This means seeing them socially, spending as much leisure time as he can with them, helping them in their hour of need, attending regular meetings and ceremonial events, and embracing the moral code or and its discipline. From a self-interested, pragmatic being, he will become a faithful member of a clan, a brotherhood, an extended family. He will join a patrimonial society that is not a replica of, but an alternative to modern capitalist companies and corporations. So this description makes it clear that a potential member of a gang will, looks like, have to give up his individuality. Um, and... Um, Uh, if he wanted to integrate into that criminal group. And for this analysis, you also introduce some specific language, like Krisha, Vorovzakonie, Gruzit, Kidalava, Panyatie, and then there is a very nice chapter in your book <laughs> that represents a dictionary of all these uh, terms. So will you tell us a little bit about this um, structure of, um, of gangs and how actually they absorb individuals or maybe individuals who Uh, willing to give up their individuality. People join the gang for different reasons. Some of them are quite, quite, quite pragmatic, interested in money, and others want to just experience this um, life, you know, full, full, full of danger, full, full of uh, camaraderie and, you know, excitement uh, and so on. But whatever the purpose of why people join the gang They, they understand that they cannot reach their aims without the support mm. from, 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 from people in the gang. The gang itself teaches them to be loyal, to, to, to see other members as friends, as part of the family, and they get socialized in, in this kind of uh, ideas. Now, um, of course... There is conflict in the gang as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually, if, if we look at police statistics, there is violence, there are murders, but, but particularly murder, murders uh, be, uh, happen between the leaders well, who, who, who are fighting each other for spheres of influence and so on. But nevertheless, people do seem to believe in this uh, com- completely idealized version of, of the gang as a family. So... Uh, I, I, I think this is important because so often we find researchers who try to apply the logic of business cooperation mm-hmm. to, to a gang uh, or to, to organized crime, saying, well, this is just as any other business, you know, they have managers, they, they, they have recruitment, uh, they, they uh, you know, have, have division of labor. But I think for, in order to understand this phenomenon, we should... Uh, try to see it as more than business, mm-hmm. but, but, but as a society. Mm-hmm. But um, not all gang members uh, become successful and not all of them succeed and some of them decide to leave when they don't see that uh, their um, plans <laughs> are going to be realized. Yeah, that's true. The, uh, uh, bec- uh, because, you know... The, uh, 
this so much you 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 can withstand if if you are not getting any money if you know you you are to 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 commit an organization that doesn't give you anything back but i think it's you know as as in any family <laughs> as well you know pe- people do divorce and people <laughs> things st- stop working for them so i can understand that is it easy to leave again or it all depends on it's it's relatively easy now mm-hmm. it used to be difficult uh, in the 90s where the gangs were expanding and they needed people so then you know it was almost impossible to do mm-hmm. these days especially when the criminal business is contracting uh, it's easier There is still a ritual. You can't just leave, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so a person can be beaten up. Uh, he would need to give all the money he borrowed from the gang fund back. But uh, it, it is possible. Alternatively, uh, you actually don't need to leave the gang. Mm-hmm. You can just stay there nominally, mm-hmm. uh, but, but stop participating in activities but, but uh, keep in touch you know come to some meetings but but people understand that you know when you grow up and you you know you have a family and you uh, many of them have proper jobs mm-hmm. so, so so they can't expect you to, to come to weekly meetings and you know to, to be actively participating in, in fights mm-hmm. and uh, ver- ver- various uh, events and so on mm-hmm. so you also mentioned that russian gangs are primarily male groups Did you have a chance to interview female participants and what are their roles? Well, uh, there are, are male groups and their the code of Panyatia, their the, the laws, do not allow them to have uh, members. Now, now, women are the periphery of these groups and they participate in various uh, events like cooking for the group mm. or providing alibis for their members and so on but but essentially these are male organizations we limited our our field work to men i think if i were to, to repeat this project i would have probably interviewed more women uh-huh. so but i'll leave this to <laughs> future researchers to do uh, so you also mentioned uh, this um, a moral code uh, which is понятие will you describe <laughs> what it is понятие <laughs> because this is probably one of those uh, uh, criminal uh, slang words that actively entered the everyday a sphere of communication even people who don't have any connections with gang uh, gangs will use this this word in different contexts yeah понятия essentially are informal rules of behavior mm-hmm. the concept itself is linked uh, with the prison culture mm-hmm. that's where it emerged uh, and now it's often used In, in, in the Russian language to indicate uh, any informal rules which are not uh, uh, sort of do not form a, a part of any written code mm-hmm. but which mm-hmm. everybody understands to to work uh, or to live according to понятия means that, that that you understand without the need to say what you need to do in a particular uh, situation and in in, in the gang понятия mean that people have to behave with with certain authority in relation to 
people who are not members of the gang because they, they represent the power in the area. They are not allowed to do certain, certain things that will, will bring down their status of this powerful guys, powerful men, even to the extent that they are not allowed visibly to, to uh, work themselves in the service sector or uh, even sell their things. They are sort of like aristocracy of, mm-hmm. of the streets. But also there are unwritten rules about the need to be loyal to the gang, to support their mates, uh, rules about exclusion of women, and so on. So, so uh, th- these are particular norms which you know the gang has. It doesn't mean that this norm, these norms apply elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But the, the the very term "panyatia" is is often used when people are trying to compare the rules of public life to the rules of criminal society, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, to say, well, uh, if, if 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 let's say. For example, recently, the head of the Russian National Guard type of organization, uh, the military arm of the, or, or, or the internal, yeah, uh, I would get National Guard type organization. He 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 invited. Uh, one of the main opposition leaders, Navalny, to a, to a duel, which was very bizarre, uh, following the accusations of corruption that Navalny um, presented. And he said, you shouldn't avoid atvetka. Atvetka is, is a criminal term, and it's part of panyatia that if you are challenged, you know, and if you are being disrespected, you need to respond also in a violent way. So, so this is a person who is a, who is a general and he, who, who is part of the Russian elite, and he is using this criminal panyatia uh, instead of... Uh, taking Navalny to court. So, so, so people then uh, started to use against this term panyatia and, and uh, gang language and so on when talking about the existing rules of communication mm-hmm. at the top of the Russian state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so y- your book uh, demonstrates that gangs are not isolated worlds. They are incorporated into society. So, um, and also your research presents this kind of view where uh, it's not only that we look at gangs, but like gangs look at us as well. Um, so what's the perception of the community of gangs well, today? Um, how do people uh, well, understand this gang code? Uh, how they uh, see their role in, 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 in our society? If it's similar to the Soviet period or it's somehow transformed into something different? Well, there is a combination on on the one hand of uh, fearing the gangs, of course, and see, seeing them as pathological and abnormal. Mm-hmm. And of course, people do not want the gangs to, to exist in their areas. On the other hand, there is a certain romantic perception of uh, of the gang culture and prison culture, uh, and uh, uh, perception that this is a, a world of some kind of primitive fairness. And that the, the, these people are acting against the state, against the police. So in mass culture, there is a certain fascination with gangsters, and this is reflected in um, the 
popularity of prison songs, uh, their folklore, uh, the existence of lots of series on on television and film, where uh, this 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 world of kind of Robin Hood type mm-hmm. figures <laughs> is is represented. Mm. Yeah, well, a, a couple of years ago, maybe now decades, there was the series which was called Brigada, and literally it means like a gang, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what do you think about that representation of <laughs> gang organizations? Yeah, it 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 it, it, it is very romantic. Yeah. If my research shows that you know these are indeed very very violent people, and may, when they join the gangs, they may may do this uh, with an idea that yes, you know, uh, I, I want to belong to this to, to this wonderful society, or I don't have any options, uh, you know, I can't find a job, uh, you know, uh, I uh, I'm abandoned by by society and so on, but. It's just the nature of life in a gang that you are forced, you know, mm-hmm. for, forced to commit crime. You are forced to, to uh, beat people up or kill them. So, so I, I, I would, I would not, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would not like this world to, to, to be seen as some kind of attractive world. Mm-hmm. Is there any like? initiation ritual for those who want to enter a gang organization. Uh, elsewhere, you mentioned that um, there is some sort of a education process for those who want to uh, um, become a member. And for example, they ask what once upon a time in America and the Godfather. <laughs> it's another comparative possibility. Here. Yes, this, this this was indeed the fact in the beginning of the 1990s where, where uh, pe- people didn't know how to be mafiosi. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and so they were very much under the influence of uh, the, uh, Hollywood <laughs> uh, because, the, you know, gangsters, they need to perform power. They need to, to, to be... Uh, respected otherwise who you know why, why would people give them part of their business mm-hmm. or give them their money and so on and uh, gangsters do not want to, to fight all the time or to kill all the time it's much better if you know they the, the, the behave themselves in such a way that people people just do whatever they're told without any resistance mm-hmm. uh, so this this kind of um, ethos is is being communicated of course to young boys uh, who, who want want to join the gang and there is a sense of um, some kind of upbringing in a gang because people join the gang from the age of 16 18 and they, they are being told how to behave in terms of initiation there are no elaborate rituals because people who join a street gang they should already know how to behave because you know they've been living in in these areas where where there are lots of fights there's a lot of conflict they they they, they, they must understand how a, a proper man behaves so they're just um, when they join the gang, they're invited to a meeting of the gang, and uh, they are told, "Guys, you are with us," and and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the beginning, uh, you also mentioned that um, potential members uh, come to these gangs with some romantic expectations, and as soon as those expectations just uh, go somewhere else, uh, they decide uh, to leave. And uh, some of those members become uh, quite successful in some legal spheres, like they are um, doctors or they are uh, even police officers. What's the stigma of their past for their future endeavors? 
You're absolutely right. There is a stigma. The the police has a database of gang members, mm-hmm. and being on this database is not a good thing, uh, particularly if you want to have a future career in um, the public sector. It's it's not good. Now, in order to uh, kind of eliminate this stigma, people do all kinds of things. For example, uh, when when they become legal businessman, for example, and they would like to also become deputy uh, in, uh, at the local level or go higher, you know, they start giving money to charity, giving money to children's homes, this is very popular, mm-hmm. or, you know, to churches, building stadiums. So, so, so um, presenting themselves as kind of uh, hi- hi- highly regarded members of the community which which does it seems help uh, mm-hmm. to yeah to, to to leave their past behind but uh, it looks like they succeed to do that through some financial plans and financial things like just funding something if you give money so it's like buying their unstigmatized life it's not just money mm-hmm. They they join prestigious networks. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you give money to charity, then you you or you you become a part of the board of an NGO. Uh, you you meet people there. You know, some some of them give money to to make films. Mm-hmm. You see, mm-hmm. uh, so, so you 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 build connections in the legitimate sphere. You 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 you. you I think, you know, any organized crime mm-hmm. uh, does this, you know, in Italy or in America where, where gangsters were giving money to uh, mm-hmm. make films in Hollywood. Uh, this, the same goes on in Russia. Mm-hmm. So right now you're working on a new project, Rituals of Collective Shaming and Exclusion. Um, would you just tell us a little bit about this new project? If Yeah, this is something that, that I've been quite interested for a while. Mm-hmm. Um My, my my first book was about uh, Russian homelessness, it was called Crossing the Line, where I documented different ways uh, in which people became excluded from the community. Mm-hmm. And I came across people back in the Soviet days who, for example, were shamed uh, and uh, went through the so-called comrades' courts, which mm-hmm. existed in the neighborhoods or uh, at work. They could could be sh- mainly for, for alcohol addiction. And to, to the extent that, that this shaming and stigmatization le- led to homelessness because people would lose their... their Flats mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 become homeless, but there were other rituals of exclusion, which or shaming, which um, involved meetings at work where people or, or in in universities where where people were shamed for various things like alcoholism or uh, marital infidelity mm-hmm. or even crossing the the street in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, Your, your collective would be asked to, to condemn you. 
And I think, uh, you know, that this would be an interesting thing to, to investigate. Mm-hmm. And it will be based on the Soviet uh, Late Soviet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Svetlana, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, your book is fascinating. Thank you. <laughs> and the world of gangs and criminal organizations is an intriguing area of inquiry for many reasons, and I believe one of them uh, lies in the fact that it communicates a lot, not only about those who we observe from a distance, but also about our own selves, our society, and our life in general. Thank you so much, Stefan. Thank you.